Welcome to the Africa Tech Summit podcast, sharing insights from across the African tech scene. Today's episode is part of our Africa Climate Tech Summit series, which is kindly supported by Mercy Core Ventures and Pure Carbon in partnership with the 6th D. Stay tuned for great insights and a discount code to join us at the Africa Climate Tech Summit in Nairobi. My name is Boko Inyundo, founder of the 6D. In today's episode, we're exploring electric mobility in Africa with Philip Lostrom of Rome. Well, Philip, um, please introduce yourself to our audience and provide some background to, to Rome and your role as co-founder and CEO. Yes, absolutely. Um, so my name is Philip Lovstrom. I am uh, CEO and co-founder of Rome. Uh, we have been in Kenya for the past five years. We're setting up ourselves up to be an electric mobility provider for all of sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, but today and for the coming few years, we're going to be focused on, on Kenya as a market because that's a big enough market to... To fill at the moment, uh, we are uh, focused on two business segments and two product segments, so uh, motorcycles and buses. We fundamentally believe that, um, one, the technology for climate change uh, mitigation exists today. There is nothing new that we have to invent. There is no new technology that we're, that we're you know, waiting for. If you remember, what was this, maybe six, seven, eight years ago in, in Europe and in, in the US, and we still have the remnants, we still have small small pockets of this debate that comes up once in a while. We talk about, oh, if only batteries costed this much, or if only this technology came out, or if only we could fast charge a vehicle with this speed, then we could solve climate change. But in reality, everything we need is in front of us. So one, the technology exists. Um, Two, it needs to be packaged into a product. It needs to be designed um, to become a product. So you need to take all the components, put them together, make sure that you have a product that's fit for use, fit for market, fit for purpose, and make sure that we can take this forward. So we're very, very focused on that product development. The third thing that we're also very stubborn about and, and uh, make sure that we emphasize over and over again is that the population increases that we're seeing not only in Kenya, but in a pan-African scale is that Africa is going from 1.2 billion people that it is today to roughly 4 billion people in the coming um, in the coming 77 years. So up until 2100. So by 2100, we're going to be a 4 billion people continent. Nairobi is going to move from being a 5 million person city to a 45 million person city. All of that need for transport needs to be provided, right? That's part of development. That's we got to make sure that people can transport themselves. That transport needs to be emissions free. We think that the best bet today is to make sure that we go down the pathway of creating battery electric vehicles. We think that's the best bet to as quickly as possible, make sure that we curb emissions before they occur. Um, because really what, what we have a possibility of doing in Kenya is instead of just keep on rebuilding the past, like Europe and US has done for a very long time, we can then, um, we can then uh, build for the future instead. And we can build the future immediately instead of taking the uh, routes through, through old technology. No, uh, absolutely, and, and uh, make, make, making a future that's fit for purpose for for, for the needs or forward needs of Africa is critical, um, and and those numbers that in terms of population growth uh, 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 critical. Um, 
may I ask, what, what was the inspiration for you to start an electric mobility company in Kenya? Um, give us a bit of background to, uh, as it were, the yeah. early days, a younger Philip um, venturing into the world of business. Yeah, so I've been in electric mobility for the past decade, uh, everything from building my own vehicles to doing consultancy with um, with companies around uh, Northern Europe for quite some time. Um, and I've spent, um, <laughs> I've spent a lot of time with, with electric vehicles. Ten years ago, there was not a lot of people uh, in the sphere and in the scene. Um, it was very tricky and hard to get components. That's fundamentally different today. Uh, that paired with the fact that I've spent a lot of my upbringing in Kenya, uh, just eventually um, combined it into, uh, into moving here and building electric vehicles here instead. And that was sort of the origin of, of um, uh, Rome or Opabus, as we were called back then. Um, so really in, in all of this is a combination of, you know, the technical background. Uh, I've always had a massive drive for um, um, doing something about climate change um, and had a fixated idea that someone has to do something and someone is me just as much as anyone else. So um, felt felt compelled to to take my skill set and deploy it where I can be I can leverage the most um, the most balances between between uh, where I can where I can have maximum impact so to say and that's in that cross section between the the technology the engineering and the knowledge of, of Eastern Africa yeah, brilliant brilliant and um, I, I guess uh, folk listening to uh, this podcast or watching the video won't necessarily know um, the investors that back you um, can you give us a bit of context for who the investors behind Rome are and perhaps a little bit of colour and texture around the relationships you have with each of them? We have a great group of investors, extremely supportive, um, very active and, and participant to a to a useful degree. I know um, there, there are so many nightmare stories of what uh, can go wrong with the wrong investor, uh, but we have knock on wood, been very lucky so far. Um, and we've had the privilege of being picky from time to time as well. Um, but so we have we have a mix of um, tech-focused funds. We have, um, we have East Africa-focused funds. We have some, some angels with various backgrounds also in East Africa tech. Most of the time when we go out fundraising, there is one or two one out of two things that we need to um, educate people on. It's either either that we need to pitch a lot around the East African market and why that is relevant, or we need to pitch a, a lot around tech and electric mobility. Because if you look at that cross-section, what we are doing here with electric mobility in Kenya, that has not really existed here, which means the funds that are focused on the area, they don't really know how to how to touch electric mobility or how to navigate it or, or 
anything from what's a decent valuation to how can we be supportive and help is, is hard for them. So then we need to bring that to the table. Same thing then when we go to tech-focused funds that are focused on, on electric mobility or has experience of electric mobility. Most of the time, they don't know anything about the market dynamics or what it is like to do business in, in East Africa. Um, so we have sort of a, a merge of those. We've been able to find... Uh, investors, which is a very small Venn diagram or very small cutout of a Venn diagram, uh, where we have someone who is tech focused and has some experience of, of East Africa. Uh, but it, it almost ends up being driven by different individuals and finding those right people inside funds that has enough leverage and power to be able to say that, hey, guys, this is something that we should pursue. Um, Regardless of if it is a tech-focused person in a um, uh, East Africa-focused fund, or if it is a East Africa-focused person in a tech fund, um, and that's a bit of the dynamic that we I hope that's going to shift now because as we as we sort of progress up in in several different steps of of capital, I mean there is the traditional journey of of through through seed with uh, a couple of rounds with VC VC funds and then essentially graduating to private equity stages and, and etc. We see a lot of larger ticket writers um, in essence they are raising funds primarily focused on electric mobility uh, which is quite a large um, that's a massive change right when we started this five years ago there was absolutely no funds that were looking at electric mobility the first two and a half years of our company, we spent that uh, revenue funded uh, through and through. So we sold uh, electric safari vehicles, made enough money to um, pay salaries for our staff, um, uh, not not for the founding team, but salaries for our staff as well as the components and everything. And then we deployed those safari vehicles. But five, six years ago, all funds, all money was focused on um, microgrids, power access, and, and those kind of things. And now we're starting to see more advancements and more proactive movements towards electric mobility, which is hugely exciting for the whole sector. I would say it's not it's not only about us because, as I see it, we can, as I see it, we're not really competing with any of our. Uh, what gets pushed as our, our current competitors, which is, you know, the other electric mobility companies in the area. And Kenya has quite a lot of them uh, by now. But really our com- competition is the incumbent um, incumbent uh, internal combustion engine, motorcycle, bus, be it what you want, whatever vehicle it is. It's the petrol vehicle, the diesel vehicle that is dominating. It's not the electric vehicle. So the electric Mobility actors will need a lot of investments to be able to, one, get through their phase of product development and then uh, define that product market fit. And that will usually take a bit longer than what you think. And then there will be a lot of money required to to scale that up as well. And a, a serious amount of large funds that are now raising money specifically for electric mobility is very exciting to, to, um, uh, to us and to the whole sector. That's, that's brilliant. It's great to hear um, that level of positivity um, at a time when, if you like, the macro economy generally the world over is obviously in a in in some facing some challenges. But but you mentioned the market dynamics, 
Um, and what essentially you're involved in and what um, your customers are uh, uh, participating in is in a sense a, a transition, uh, an industrialization in real time. And um, as that happens, um, what 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 challenges have you faced as a business and what opportunities and paths to growth have you have you sought and uh, and hunted down because uh, every business is buffeted by headwinds and and opportunity it'd be good to know from a macro uh, perspective um where you face the challenges and and and, and how to navigate them and also where where, where you see an opportunity yeah. and, and as well as where your investors have seen opportunity I mean, I think the the interesting thing here is, I mean, you mentioned that the the global macroeconomic situation is is different and it's a bit um, tricky at the moment. Um, and I would I would agree because although a lot of uh, a lot of these funds are are raising money to be able to put into electric mobility companies, um, not a lot of them have closed yet. So that's still going to impact here. But on the other there's a different metric there, which is is that the way the companies globally have to operate now when it comes to profitability, when it comes to this whole hype that we've had with pre-revenue companies uh, globally that get insane valuations for the potential, that has never been the case in, in East Africa. Um, and I think it's going to be quite a long time before we have that. So... To, to us and to me, this is uh, quite um, this is quite normal uh, day-to-day operations to focus on metrics such as uh, revenue, profitability, and etc. That's just where we had to be. Um, when it comes to the rest of your question, uh, could you repeat it for me? Challenges and opportunities. And I, I, I was thinking, looking into your business and looking at you, for example, looking at um, the charging infrastructure, um, you obviously uh, clearly investing in um, uh, opportunities that are going to build a sort of a long-term uh, robustness for your business. Um, uh, whilst at the same time, uh, clearly the the uh, connectivity um uh, to to grid power within a context like Kenya um has, has its challenges and there may be other issues around you know policies that perhaps uh, stave off uh, the amount of funding that you can receive or whether there's you know tax taxation um right. uh, bottlenecks right. or import export issues uh, just getting a sense of you know where there has been challenge and perhaps how you successfully navigated them or sought support from other players in order to navigate them but also principally the opportunity which is i'd imagine where you'll you'll land most is you know where where are you seeing your business really excite whether it's funders or customers or or other stakeholders in in in, in the kenyan ecosystem no so i think what we i mean what we have is a uh particular motorcycle uh, as the most clear example, because that's where we've gone the deepest into development. We have a motorcycle that is 100% owned by us. So we have picked and, and chosen all of the components, the 253 components that we that we then assemble into a full full motorcycle. And that gives a lot of leverage um, over things like 
costs down and, and uh, reducing costs. It gives us a possibility of making sure that the design of the motorcycle is in such a way that it is um, coherent with what the market need, which has been an exciting, exciting journey really to, to design a product for a market that has never had a des product designed for them. Uh, it's quite, quite different really because the, the most common motorcycles here are not the most common because that's what uh, East Africa wants. That's, it is the most common because that's what's available most of the motorcycles that are sold on the Kenyan market are actually banned in India uh, because of their emission standards. So us developing a new product. So, so what I'm saying is that today the main motorcycle is a motorcycle that nobody else wants. And what we've designed is a motorcycle that is fit for purpose and designed for this market and these users. So, there's a massive opportunity that comes with that. And that, that product market fit really at this stage of the company is something quite, uh, is quite exciting. And that's really what provides leverage for our business, our business case and, and everything that we do and provides that excitement for raising, raising the money. It builds a much more reliable and robust operational model as well, because it's a lot more work to set up the supply chain, but once you have it in place, it's much more, um, yeah, it's much more predictable than if you buy full motorcycles or full assembly of something uh, because we can control each and every component. If we're missing a component, we can go to someone else and buy exactly that component compared to qualifying a completely new product. Anyways, with that comes a few challenges, right? So if you look at the manufacturing ecosystem of, of Eastern Africa, it's very focused on uh, metal. It's very focused on um uh, manufacturing accessories to products. It's very few full-on product suites. Whereas if you go to if you go to a country like Germany or even take China, for example, in China you can stick your, your head outside of the factory and you'll find a hundred people who have set up production lines. That's not the case here, right? There is a mix, there is a blend between um, having operated production production lines and having designed them. Um, and some of those challenges we see usually in strange areas or unexpected areas, but quite logical areas, right? So there is not a lot of experience in Kenya when it comes to designing tool sets for, um, for um, example, plastic injection molding machines. There is a couple, absolutely, but compared to other areas where you have an ecosystem of suppliers, manufacturers that, you know, create this, um, create this huge pool of people with a certain capacity and, and uh, level of experience. That's usually something that we need to bring in from the outside and make sure that we build the capacity inside of our company. Uh, right. And I think that's really where if we look at the challenge and the opportunity, that's really where we where we are as both a company and a country um, to be right at the start of that, you know, highly productive and efficient domestic economy that can that can bring things forward and and that can create a lot of value uh, creation in the country, and that's where I think that this this should be combined the the challenge that that brings. Um, 
becomes an opportunity as we overcome it and enables electric mobility to be even more localized, right? And that goes all the way down to the value chain of, of raw materials. So that's a bit of a combination of the opportunity and yeah. the, the no, that's, um, that's really challenges. interesting. That's interesting because yeah. it also forces you as a business, you, you, you can't do much of this alone. You, you have to form partnerships in order to, as it were, build yes. that systemic capacity. And there's a lot of learning, uh, but also a lot of excitement in, in that journey, I'd imagine. But it also needs funding and it needs funding from yeah. a variety of, sort of public and private sources. Um, I guess on, on, on that, I'd be interested in know, um, you know, reading around Rome and you, you, you've, you've obviously had an exciting few months Um opening a plant locally uh, but also establishing over the last uh, few couple of years uh, strategic partnerships with the likes of MCOPA um, Hitachi and others um, can you can you give us a little bit of um, background to some of those key partnerships that enable you to uh, build uh, the business and make it um, as robust as you speak as you, as you speak of because um, uh, much of that is the hard yards of entrepreneurship um, yeah. you know convincing others to come and play with you as it were and to and to seek returns uh, mutual returns from those relationships yeah no, for sure. I mean, we've always had the opinion that um, partnerships is the only way to succeed because you get to leverage win-win situations for, for both actors um, and you get to leverage a joint way forward. So all of these partnerships provide us with an opportunity of you know becoming more than Rome. And, and really what I think it is, we've always gone into partnerships with a very, very open attitude, right? With a very open mindset, with a lot of sharing of, of data experiences and learnings, uh, because that brings everybody to the same baseline as early as possible. And spending that time on forming a tight-knit partnership early on. So if that is on personal relationships or on the legal side um, or whatever part of the partnership it is, that's really one of the one of the core aspects to be able to have a successful partnership from from my perspective. And then the level of openness that you show and the level of integrity that you show is quite crucial to be able to um, to be able to get fruitful partnerships. And fruitful partnerships bring more partnerships because other people get excited by seeing a press release of our partnership with Hitachi, for example, that yielded a lot of other. Uh, big names that shall not be mentioned yet, but that are, you know, getting excited and saying that, hey, we also want to help out and support, right? And then there is leveraging partnerships for different things, right? So with uh, MCOPA, we obviously have a very tight um, market-based commercial relationship on on the types of units that we put on the ground together. Uh, with Hitachi, we're talking a lot about how we can leverage their strengths as a global manufacturer to make sure that we can do um, uh, we can do high value additions to our product here locally as well, and make sure that we can leverage that because what we have created is a journey and a vision and a uh, forward momentum that makes people excited to participate. And I do think that if you if you're looking to form partnerships, that's one of the key things: making sure that. It doesn't matter if the partnership happens or not. It, it's a line on, on the vision first, a line on why you're doing it, a line on, on um, 
the fact that you're there to create something uh, together that is both uh, both good for the planet or for people or for profit, uh, but then also make sure that you can both come out of it from a win-win situation um, or in in a win-win situation. So then, if you if you then extrapolate that, um, yeah, I'd say there's there's two things: sell people on the vision and make sure that you're aligned. And the second thing is then to make sure that you enter the partnership with very open, um, with with a lot of integrity and very very open arms, so to say, um, so, because then you can really get into the grit together. Yeah. Join us at the Africa Climate Tech and Investment Summit in February, part of Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects. Please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code GREEN, that's G-R-E-E-N, and receive a discount off delegate passes. No, I for one can't wait um, when I'm in Nairobi um, to jump on one of your buses or when I'm uh, up country in in Western Kenya, uh, jumping onto a Boda Boda maybe. Um, That's a rowing bike. Um, You really should. It's yeah. a it's a it's a lot of fun. The Romare is a is a good drive, and we probably won't let you drive the bus, but uh, <laughs> or any of the buses. But but you can definitely drive the motorcycle. No, good stuff, good stuff. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask what your view is of the competition, um, uh, because obviously, uh, like I said, it's a transition era. It's uh, industrialization, uh, but it's with climate for you know uppermost in in one's mind together with the affordability that attracts um uh, customers and, and and enables you to scale uh, but th- there are others investing in this space there are others uh producing not too dissimilar uh products and services to you there are clearly others doing so in other parts of africa um and, and as, as well as countries adjacent to kenya that's all creating, if you like, a redder ocean than 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 was uh, a couple of years ago. And certainly, if there's this uh, bulk of funding coming towards electric mobility, that's probably going to intensify. What What's your perspective on the competitive forces that Rome faces? I mean, out of the electric mobility companies, I've not yet met anyone who's in the same part of the value chain as we are. We manufacture motorcycles and we sell them to people, including the battery. We don't operate, uh, we're not operators. We don't have a swapping model. We sell the motorcycle and the, and the battery is one kit. So when you buy a motorcycle, you own that battery, whereas most of the other electric mobility players on the on the market, and I'm, I'm not going to call them competition because we are in different parts of the value chain. Most of the other electric mobility players, they're running different sets of operational models. If it is, um, you know, buy a bus, but we rent you the battery pack or buy a motorcycle, but we rent you the battery pack and then you swap it whenever you need to. Like you can do that on, on our motorcycle, but we don't want to operate that. We don't think that that's the scalable uh, way to get, um, because again, our, our, our mission is to, to accelerate uh, electric mobility across the continent. We want to deploy as many electric vehicles in a responsible way as quickly as possible. And raising, raising money to be able to put that into the CapEx that's needed to run those kind of operational models, um, 
we we don't want to do it. The the risk for us is is too big. So we want to focus on making sure that we have the product correct and product right. So one, we don't run the same operational model. We do have complementary charging stations that you can use if if you if you're out and about and you want to charge somewhere. But you can also just plug in our battery pack wherever you are. So wherever you can charge a cell phone, you can charge our motorcycle. Uh, the bus would require something slightly bigger than a cell phone charger, but um, but the the um, so that's that's one side of it. The the second side is that we're the only one who have, only ones who have designed our motorcycle from ground up to be an electric motorcycle, right? We're the only one who owns our full asset. Um, the other actors buy them from other actors and other OEMs, right? So I think it's complementary more than um, more than competitive, right? Because we are able to, to we're not too far away from being at uh, a point where we're competitive with China uh, on our pricing and on our manufacturing cost. Okay. That, 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 that's interesting. I, I guess if you if you look at competition from a consumer point of view, um, then you might see if you like a different vista open up uh, rather than looking at it as an entrepreneur or as, a, or as an investor, because yes. ultimately a consumer is just looking for a, a ride from A to B that's relatively Correct. low cost and uh, meets, if you like, their lifestyle and and and, and so how how you build your product and respond to those sorts of needs at scale is is, is critical to, to 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 getting the traction that you the investors um, and and other partners uh, desire. But I, I, I guess looking ahead. Um, and this might be around product development. It might be about geographical expansion. Where where do you see Rome evolving um, as you as you look to um, uh, scale and 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 reach, if you like, the next funding levels and and perhaps one or two above above that. Are you, are you seeing? Yeah. Have you got any aspirations and vision for what the business looks like in in, in a forward future? Right now, at this point, when we're looking at expansion and, and growing, we're looking at uh, two different options. Uh, one is to go deeper into uh, manufacturing, so taking even taking even more control of supply chain. So things that we today might buy as off-the-shelf components to make sure that those are Rome components. That's one option. Um, and they're in no order of priority. The second option is to take the product that we have today and expand that into uh, more markets, right? And I think in reality, we will do both over the coming six, seven years, because until 2030, we want to deploy 2 million motorcycles, which is still only a fraction of... um, still only a fraction of the uh, total market, uh, of, of motorcycles but um, uh, across Africa. But in reality, we probably have to do both. So what we are choosing between now is, is which one we do first, right? Because I strongly believe that focus is an absolute crucial, um, absolutely crucial point of running a business in this area of the world because there are so many opportunities. There are so much that you can do in in East Africa, in Africa in general, that if you try and do it all, you're going to fail miserably 
because we don't have the quantum the quantums of capital in this part of the world yet to be able to fund a broad approach to it. But we need to specialize and become niche and then grow from there. Um, so yeah, we're looking at the two options of either getting into more vertical integration. Um, that is not us manufacturing things. That is us working tighter and tighter and tighter with partners and spending money on, on investments together with them. Uh, local partners, international partners, and et cetera. And yeah, second option is geographical expansion. For 2 million motorcycles by 2030, we need to do both. Yeah. It's just a matter of which one do we start with. And and, and much depends on how uh, the markets and sales shifts. So if the African continental free trade area becomes you know, something that's actively implemented and, and real, the expansion geographically may become that 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 much more um straightforward or easier and yeah. and return return more to the bottom line as it were but um but interesting and and then thanks thanks for sharing that because i appreciate you know the, the some level of sensitivity as, as to how much you can say uh with regards to looking ahead um I, i'm gonna yeah. i'm gonna but there should be there should be no doubt that uh we want to be a pan-african player that shouldn't be doubted at all um it's only a matter of within what time frame okay Interesting, interesting, and fantastic to hear. Uh, my, my, my last uh, penultimate question, perhaps, is more around go to market and whether you can share any stories um, as to whether what go to market initiatives have been particularly successful for Rome, uh, and that might go back to when you rebranded, um, or it may be very recent. As I see, there's been a lot of activity around the Africa Climate Week, for example, with the the, the president joining you and, and having a look at your your new manufacturing plant. What aspects of your go to market effort to get that traction to encourage others to come on board the journey uh, towards if you like a, a net zero transition uh, have worked particularly well for you and or which initiatives have perhaps been less successful than you had originally anticipated just so we get a sense of if you like how it's not so straightforward to to, to build a brand to build a business uh, when you actually you know mm-hmm. the rubber hits the the, the, the road as it were. No, it's a good question. What has been particularly successful? There are so many different ways to go about it, right? Um, a lot of our marketing efforts have been successful. A lot of our branding efforts have been successful. But I think the most important ingredient inside of that is an ability to to uh, pivot quite quickly and make sure that we manage and handle uh you know, new information and uh, can make decisions based on on that new information as well as so constantly massaging your strategy, constantly massaging and iterating on uh, on that because it's not. I think none of our pivots and and changes has been a you know a straight ninety degree line, but it's been constant iterations that that change and and pivot around how we operate towards something uh, based on what we learn, based on what we see, based on what we experience. Um, I think that's the successful ingredient inside of it, it, to to be honest. It's not one single thing. It's the combination of the branding exercise and the combination of the branding exercise with the with the marketing and the and the presence at certain high level events, right? So we try to refrain from 
spending too much time with both of those two things because we strongly believe as well that if you have the right product, those other two things will will come with, right? Um, but then also iterating on the, the product and product design together with A-B testing, together with different user testing, together with um, our, our, our push for local assembly that we have here behind me. The combination of these things is, is what builds it. So there's not one single ingredient that, that builds Rome, but it is really the, the combination of all of those things. And that combination comes from this constant iteration of how do we make sure to get this all balanced out in a correct way. Interesting. Which is really just, that's not necessarily a, you know, that's not us putting a framework or a structure around it. And after we've done this, we're going to go write a book about how to manage companies. That is a lot of hardworking people with a very open and honest um, dialogue with um, a lot of intelligence on top of that from from all of my colleagues, less so from me. Uh, I'm, I'm, but I, I'm there to keep them together. But yeah, there is a lot of smart people working on yeah. this. No, you can yeah. feel it with 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 Rome. To me, strategy is a mix of analysis and intuition. But actually, to have yeah. the system and the process and the mindset to accommodate the inputs that come from those two sources is really important because some of it can be hard data. Come, some of it can be soft feely stuff but actually you need a, a, a method of, of of really allowing the two to collide to then understand yeah. what the pivot looks like whether it's a left or whether it's a right or or start again but um but uh, if 100 oh, and and there's there is a very very and i mean we end up there as well but but it's quite important to stay away from analysis paralysis and not get too deep into the data, not get too sucked into it, but go there enough to say, because analysis of data is almost asymptotic, right? So it's it's a curve that's uh, where the derivative is is changing. I'm trying to find better words to explain this, but it's a it's a it's a curve where you have um, the further you go, the less need for it you have, but. It's not worth it to get the final data pieces or do the final analysis on things because you probably know roughly where it's pointing anyways. And that's true for a certain stage of the company. And this is the tricky thing. When do you change that, right? Because when do you change the pace? When do you change what is acceptable? And also, how do you change what is acceptable with the same amount of with, with the same people inside the team and the organization as well, right? Because yesterday we did something one way and today we need to raise the bar and do it in a different way, right? So early on, as we ran the first couple of units on the production line, we said, just push them through and we'll do the fixes at, you know, end of line stations. And, and now we're at a point where we're like, no, now they should not come through if if they're stuck on station six and we have an issue, we should take them off and we, we bring them back in into the line as well, right? So it's all of these things where you need to constantly iterate on, constantly decide what is an acceptable level of information today. And then tomorrow that might be a different level. So I mean, we're constantly building, we're building a company with all of the backend resources, right? Building out a finance team, building out an HR team, building out all of those kind of things. We're building skill sets and experience within the team and within the organization at the same time as we're building uh, a new market and a new product. And it's just, 
you need to constantly iterate and do smaller iterations and uh, just stay true to perfect is the enemy of good. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, my last question, um, yes. if, if I may. Um, let's imagine, say, 10 or 20 or even 50 years from now, um, uh, when Africa has successfully transitioned to net zero without any of the apocalyptic outcomes some envisage. What, what, what picture or image comes to mind about Africa in that vision or, or that dream? I've been thinking a lot about, about that, right? Um, and perhaps perhaps a bit more from a technical perspective, right? Or from a, you know, material flow perspective. I think that, you know, 30 years down the line, we know that there are, there's a couple of things that are just factual and true. One population is growing, two, Sub-Saharan Africa is the resource richest region in the world, three, electromobility will be a massive part of uh, the solution to that transport problem that comes with a growing population. Right, And when you combine all three, it is without a doubt that a lot of African products will be manufactured in Africa with African raw materials. That's just from a, a raw materials perspective that that's how it has to happen. There is, there is no refuting it. I mean, I'm, I don't understand what the argument against it could be that's actually upholding. When it comes to a vision of what society would look like then, it is an interesting interesting point. I mean, I hope that globally we're more in tune with uh, more in tune with nature, more in tune with respectful of planetary planetary boundaries, right? And I think that might be definitely be the case here as well. So it's an it's an interesting question. My immediate th- thought is is material flow. And you've answered the question from a, a purist manufacturing point of view, and how perhaps the continent can be a a, a very productive continent, not just for itself, but also oh. for the world, the, the, the oh, world sure. at large. Um, but uh, I mean, if we if we combine a lot of the trends that I've outlined in. In this whole podcast, I think we're we're looking at a very bright future for for Kenya as well as uh, Pan Africa. Absolutely, no, fantastic. And um, Philip, I, I, it's been fantastic talking to you and lovely learning in more depth about Rome and and your vision vision for the business. Um, thank you very much for spending a bit of time talking to me, and very much looking forward to uh, both this podcast going out um, over the next uh, few weeks and months, but also to the Africa Tech Summit um, in February when we'll be launching the report that's going to surface off the back of this. Um, this 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 research at um, the Africa Climate Tech and Investment uh, Summit. So, thank you very much for spending a bit of time with us, and all the best uh, over the near term and the long term uh, with Rome. Thank you very much, Bobo. Thanks for having me, and I'm also very much looking forward to the Africa Tech Summit. Join us at the Africa Climate Tech and Investment Summit in February, part of Africa Tech Summit Nairobi, where African tech connects. Please visit africatechsummit.com forward slash Nairobi for more details and use discount code GREEN, that's G-R-E-E-N, and receive a discount off delegate passes. To hear our latest episodes, please subscribe to our channel on your favorite podcast app. 
You can also visit africatechsummit.com for our upcoming events and news.